1: There will be no deaths by inches.
0: This is the Broncos Daily Podcast with Brandon Crystal. I want everything. I want all
1: the meatballs and the pasta, you know.
0: Happy Tuesday, Broncos country. Hope you're dealing with the snow. If you're here in the Rocky Mountain region, best you can. And little we'll thaw out of this here soon. When I head to Indy, I'm hoping there's no snow there, I had a friend visiting from New York over the weekend, and he said that it hadn't snowed in New York yet uh, all winter. And I was like, we've been getting snow here since October. Uh, it's just one of those snowy snowy years. But uh, not a lot going on in Broncos country. Uh, we were talking to XFL yesterday briefly, um, and I was remiss in mentioning our pal the dream that's right raheem moore had not one but two interceptions in his xfl debut uh or i'm sorry uh one interception uh i i thought i saw where it was two uh but he had an interception as a member of the dc defenders so uh raheem the dream still doing his thing um was able to pick off uh, the QB for Seattle for the Dragons, and maybe he makes his way back to the league. But of course, Broncos fans will never forgive Raheem the Dream. Nonetheless, good to see that hey, he's still out there grinding, trying to trying to make it. So hopefully, he does uh, at some point catch back on with the team. Uh, because it's a little slow, I'm certainly relying on my guests to help me out uh, as necessary. And Mike Rice has taken a new job as the new play-by-play man of the Rockies alongside Jack Corrigan in the booth. Uh, I guess they are the voice of the Rockies or co-voices of the Rockies. Certainly Jack's been doing it uh, for, I believe, nearly two decades. But Mike, in his first year now taking over for Jerry Schimmel, is uh, really, really eager uh, and excited about this opportunity. I'm excited for him. Uh, But he spent almost 20 years as the Broncos pre- and post-game host and covering the Broncos weekend, week out, and being over at the UCL Training Center and and really getting to know – a lot of the players and coaches and talking to the head coach every week as part of Colorado's morning news, uh, which by the way, I guess I can let people know I will now be a part of every morning. So in addition to covering the Broncos and doing the Broncos daily podcast, you can hear me doing updates in place of Mike Rice on Colorado's morning news with April Zesbaugh and Marty Lenz. So uh, from five fifteen on, you will hear me bright eyed and bushy tail talking to you about the latest headlines across the world of sports. Uh, but so I'm taking over for Mike and Mike is moving to the broadcast booth there with the Rocks. He's filled in a bunch over the years, Uh, but now it's his opportunity to take the gig and run with it, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But I know uh, he's going to do a great job, and I'm really excited for him. Nonetheless, I want to get his take on the Broncos while it was still uh, relevant and at the front of mind, because pretty soon he'll be thinking about uh, the Rockies' bullpen and and what went right and what went wrong. So uh, here is KOA Sports Director and new voice of the Rockies, Mike Rice. So, Mike, I'm having you on because it's, in some ways, the end of an era, the start of a new era for you, and and I'll ask you about that coming up at the end. But how many years did you do Broncos pre and post? 18 seasons. And that's going to start over. Well, you can just say 18 (laughs) seasons and all.
1: Okay. 18 seasons.
0: All right, so 18 seasons will at least hit the pause on that. I don't say come to an end, but uh you're not going to be doing it for the foreseeable future because you've got a new gig calling Rockies games, but I want to get your insight on the Broncos before you become someone who's not as plugged in day in day out because of what the Rockies uh job demands. So, uh it's kind of a quiet time right now, the the lull between the Super Bowl and then the combine in a few weeks. Now that the Broncos took that month off and and really less when you talk about the move that they made at OC, but they wanted to take some time to step away before they really got into their evaluation. That's what John Elway told us right after the season. So a little more than a month out, as you're looking back at where the Broncos finished and where they're headed, kind of give me a general uh, feel for what you think about this team as it sits today in February.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look at the team based on the offseason coming up sort of in that context. And from that standpoint, I'm really excited because I think the last couple of off seasons, they've done an excellent job. Free agency was, was a bit of a hit and miss last year because of injuries to Juwan James and Bryce Callahan. But theoretically, those guys are going to be healthy coming up. And so you add those two to the mix, knock on wood, Right. And then they've had two very good drafts back to back after the disastrous twenty seventeen draft. So my thought is if they can have another really good off season, really good draft and and hit on a few more than miss on free agency, I think things are looking up. But it's clear that offense I think is going to be the priority this offseason and Vic said earlier, John has said it all along, I mean, you got to you got to score 31 or more to beat the Chiefs, or at least give yourself a realistic chance to beat the Chiefs, and I think that's going to be the goal heading into the offseason. I think we're going to see the offensive line be a priority, I think we're going to see skill players for sure be a priority, and the development of Drew Locke certainly is above and beyond everything that they do.
0: Yeah, it, it obviously makes sense to, in the short term, make Drew the focal point, if not In general, whomever the quarterback is, the more weapons you give him, you look at Tom Brady in your hometown Niners, if he were to go there in place of Jimmy Garoppoli, he'd say, well, look, this team's ready-made. So whether Drew Locke is the guy, and we keep our fingers crossed that he will be, adding more weapons on offense will help any quarterback that comes in. It's probably one reason Peyton Manning didn't mind coming here, because he had Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker and Julius Thomas and NoShawn Moreno, and and knew that the O-line was solid with at the time Ryan Clady and Chris Cooper and guys like that so uh, I'm with you that I do think offense is a priority but before we look at the pieces I'll add all of the focal point in terms of the players you want returning from last year's roster are on the defensive side of the ball when you look up front Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris on the back end Chris Harris Justin Simmons feels like isn't going anywhere so let's I guess start with Justin Simmons do you think they work out a long-term deal or does it Field
1: from where you're seeing the franchise tag is, is more likely? I don't know that it really matters. I mean, you'd like to try and get him on a long-term deal because then it's over the long run cheaper, right? Because you're signing him earlier. But it seems like from everything that has been said earlier, and by earlier I mean towards the end of the season, that Simmons would be fine if he had to play on the franchise tag. I think bringing in basically one of his agents to be the, the cap guy doesn't hurt. And I do think they're going to get a long-term deal done, to answer your question. I think it'll happen this offseason. It might happen after the tag is placed on him, just like it happened that way with Von Miller a few seasons ago. But I think Justin gets a long-term deal this offseason. It just makes too much sense to to put it off. And it, it costs too much money to put it off because if he's going to be at $13, 14000000 a year this year and he has another good season or great season under the tag, it's only going to cost him more next season over the long haul.
0: On the uh, other side of the field, I guess, well, it depends on where Justin is, but staying on the back end, Chris Harris Jr., I'd like to see him back. I think you'd like to see him back. If you were going to go to Vegas and lay money on it, what do you think those odds are? Wow, that's a good question,
1: B. I, I think there's a pretty good chance he comes back, and the only reason I hesitate in saying that is because all it takes is for one team to overpay Chris, as you know. If one team decides, you know what? Let's give him three years and 45. He's going to take the money, and he's going to go. He's got his ring, he's on his last contract, and he's he wants his last huge payday, or as big as he can. At least that's sort of the indication you get uh, sort of between the lines from Chris. And I, you can't fault a guy for that. This is his last big hurrah. But I'm not convinced that there's going to be a team that decides to overpay to the point where it's an automatic. Chris Harris... Jr. knows what's going on here. He's pretty familiar with what Drew Locke can bring. He's seen Drew Locke operate up close and personal, see what kind of leader he can be in the locker room, see what he can do on the field. If I'm Chris Harris Jr., I'm thinking to myself, yes, I want the payday, but I also still want to win. I mean, bottom line is I don't want to go somewhere for an extra $2 bucks a year or for an extra $8 million or whatever over four years, whatever the deal is and and have no chance of winning. And I think that he has to look at this and say they they might Broncos might be a few pieces away but it sure looks like they got the quarterback. And if I'm an older player I'm going that can make all the difference in the world. So I'd say just in my own mind I have no knowledge of it. I'd say it's a little better than 50-50 he's back because you know teams don't throw around money quite like they used to it seems. Well, and to the point that you brought up
0: when we started talking, you said you get Bryce Callahan back. And we left out Bradley Chubb. You're going to get Bradley Chubb back too. Exactly. Uh, but with Callahan, the plan was for Harris to then, for Callahan to stay outside, even though he's played a lot in the slot, they liked him outside in, in this defense with Vic in the version they're running now, and letting Chris move more than he has. And so, if he were to stay, then he would get to play in the slot a little bit more. Uh, it's funny because slot corners aren't paid necessarily as highly as the guys that, mostly live on the outside, like Stephon Gilmore, people like that. But when you look at who you need to cover and where your bread is buttered, being able to cover in the slot is as important, if not maybe more important, uh, because you can leave that guy on the island and let the safety help come over the top of the big play number one receiver that's on the outside. Uh, Then you look up front on the defense, Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf. Can you handicap either of those?
1: Wow, that's again, that's really tough. I'd love to see him pay Shelby but it's really going to come down to do the Broncos want to spend a good portion of their cap room on Shelby Harris, or do they feel like they can still be effective and, and be without Shelby. That's a, that's a little bit more of a dicey proposition. I think, I think Derek Wolf can get done, uh, especially since, I mean, I think the injury probably hurt the amount of money he's going to get or could have. And again, is another team willing given Derek's injury history, not fair, but still a fact Going, are they going to overpay for Derek Wolf? I'm not sure that's the case. And he's motivated to stay here. So there's probably a better chance that he would take a little bit less. I don't want to spend his money or speak for him, but I mean, my my take on it is if he really wants to stay here, there's probably a better chance he would take a little less to do that for family concerns, finishing his career as a bronco, all those things. Shelby Harris isn't going to do that. Shelby Harris, you have to pay market value, maybe pay a little bit more if you get into a bidding war. I think the Broncos, if you look at Elway's history, probably have their price, and they'll stick to that price. And if somebody else goes over that number, then the Broncos will let Shelby Harris go uh, and let him walk, just like they did with Malik Jackson and other big free agents. Uh, And on the one hand, it would be tough to see because Shelby's made a lot of big plays and he's a great guy, and we all love covering him and all the rest. But, you know, the Broncos then can go out and and look at bolstering that defensive line through free agency and other ways that might be more economical and, in their minds, might be close to being as productive as signing Shelby Harris to a huge deal. I So the bottom line is, to handicap it, I, I, I would not predict that Shelby Harris would be back. That's what my gut says. Could be wrong, uh, but I think if you're believing that Shelby Harris is going to come back, you might be setting yourself up for disappointment.
0: The good thing about the way the NFL is structured, too, you have free agency first, then you hit the draft. Uh, the NBA, I think, maybe does it backwards. Um, and I realize it's not an NBA podcast, but I remember a few years ago when the Heat, based on LeBron tweeting how much he loved Shabazz Napier, draft Shabazz Napier, and then LeBron goes to the Cavs. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't they didn't necessarily love Shabazz Napier, but... Had they known whether or not they would have had LeBron back, they might have gone a different direction in the draft and (laughs) and tried to replace LeBron with a a player similar in his skill set. Anyway, you'll know where Derek Wolfe and Shelby Harris are, and and certainly Chris to to that degree as well, when you enter the draft. So that changes certainly what you do at 15, because the kid that we saw for a couple days of practice at the Senior Bowl, Javon Kinlaw, is a monster. And I think it would soften the blow if... He were to replace one or, in theory, both of them and start opposite of Draymond Jones. You work Demarcus Walker in and you, you probably work other guys in. I don't think Adam Gots is back, but that's the good thing about the way it's set up. You, you may have to even move up to go get him because he might be a top 10 kind of pick, but he might be worth it. If they bring one or both those guys back, then maybe you're more inclined to look at a speed receiver. That's why when I see these mock drafts and they say T. Higgins, it's like, well, they already have a 6'4 guy that runs in the 4'5s who's really good. So to have two of them is cool. But you really want someone opposite of Cortland, at least primarily, that's really, really fast. So I'm looking at Ruggs and, and Rager, uh, the kid from TCU, and obviously Ruggs from Alabama. We'll, we'll be at the combine in a couple of weeks and and to see what they run. I get everybody wants a Tyree kill, but that's got to be, if you're drafting, if you're in John here and I, I hate taking receivers in the first round. Cortland Sutton's in the second round. We could go down the list. Rod Smith un- undrafted. But Mary
1: Thomas in the first round.
0: Uh... Is that the way you're leaning if John calls you up and says, hey, Mike, I know you're doing baseball, but what should we add?
1: I'd be a little surprised if they went receiver in the first round. I think because it's such a deep class. The the question is the speed factor. And speed is going to probably get overdrafted, or usually does. John Ross went number nine overall. Exactly. About as many catches as you and I do the last couple years. Yeah, and and so the question is, I mean, the Broncos have looked at the Chiefs' model, not only with Hill, but also with Hardman, and speed is huge on that side of the ball. And I think the Broncos want to try and add speed in their skill players offensively running back and wide receiver. So the question is, do they feel like they can get their speed guy or if that's indeed their highest priority, which I don't know that it is. If not, it's a really deep wide receiver class by most accounts. So you could probably get a really good wide receiver who still has pretty good speed. If not, it was really fast. Um, in the second round, uh, maybe not. I, I would just be a little bit, I know they want to emphasize offense. Um, I I don't know if that's going to come at the 15th pick or trading up to the 10th pick. I think if you're talking in that range, you're looking at an impact defensive player or you're looking at a stud offensive lineman that you feel, can, maybe, you, maybe you draft that tackle that you're playing,
0: is necessary. Void where by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Plugging in on the left side and you, you figure out what you want to do with Garrett Bowles after that and you feel like you've drafted a 10-year starter if you've identified that guy at that position. So I'm not saying they won't go receiver in the first round, but it's a little bit more of a roll of the dice when you're talking, you know, end of the first round is one thing, but you're talking 15, maybe moving up to 12 or 10 if, if you want because they have the capital to do it. That's... That's a that that's risky. You you bet you gotta hit on that guy. And not not that you can miss on a tackle, but it just it just seems like the skill players take a lot more focus on you know and get a lot more attention that way. Well, you brought up something that we haven't talked a lot about,
0: but talking with folks in the know, the Broncos need to upgrade their running back situation. I think people overvalue what Phillip Lindsay can do in the passing game. There's a reason that Devontae Booker was in a lot on some key third downs late in the year with Drew Locke in terms of pass protection and his ability to catch the ball. I don't think he's back, but I guess it wouldn't blow my mind if he came back for a one-year, $4.5 million kind of prove-it deal. And then they obviously have Royce Freeman. I, I don't know if they're in love with Royce Freeman. Yeah, they drafted him in the third round. Uh, but so when you look at Lindsay's limited ability, at least to this point, to run good routes and catch the ball, I don't think he's a natural catcher of the football. I think he's a natural runner who's undersized but lives in between the tackles and does a much better job than people would expect looking at him. People want to compare him to Christian McCaffrey. He's just not that kind of route runner. And I get that Christian had a head start when your dad's Ed McCaffrey. You, you grew up learning really how to run routes and how to catch the ball with soft hands. He was the best receiver at the Combine, too, his year uh, when he was running routes with the receivers just for fun, it seemed like. Phillip's not that. So I don't think you do it at 15 because I just don't think there's a player worthy of it. But the kid from LSU kind of interests me. There's other players. There's running backs in this draft that I think the Broncos in the top four rounds should look at.
1: I think so, too. And you look at, I think of what New Orleans did when they had Ingram, who's kind of the beast mode guy, and then they brought in Alvin Kamara. And all of a sudden, he bursts onto the scene as the guy out of the backfield, the slasher type, the speed guy and then Ingram goes and Kamara got hurt this year and his effectiveness was was curtailed but but that's the kind of player that I think you can look to add at the running back spot again to me with the Broncos offensively be just taking a step back from position it's a philosophy of how do we get faster how do we get more explosive how do we get guys that can literally turn any carry at any time, carry or catch into a big, potential big play, whether it be a touchdown, a 40-yard reception, a break a tackle and run. As Noah Fan, as we saw, I think it was the Cleveland game when he took the short pass, went around the corner, and was gone. They need more guys who can do that and be a threat to do that. And right now, they don't have a bunch of those guys. They need more of those guys. That's how it's not just finding the guy who runs 4 to 5 as a receiver. It's about guys who can make plays and, After they get the touch and the Broncos need more explosion in those areas. And I think Drew Locke is going to help because we saw him distribute the ball. Deshaun Hamilton became a threat in the middle of the field when Drew Locke took over at quarterback. That's a plus. But Deshaun Hamilton isn't a guy that you think of who's going to turn an eight-yard catch, break a tackle, break a second tackle, and make it a 35-yard reception. That's what they need. And so from the running back spot, get some guys who are explosive. Get get a slasher type or two. Phillip is tough enough. Royce Freeman is tough enough if you want to keep him on the roster to put him in at the two-yard line, put him in at the four-yard line. Phillip is versatile uh, versatile enough to do some things in the middle of the field where if he's one of, say, three or four options instead of one of two options – then all of a sudden his effectiveness is a whole lot greater because defenses have a lot more guys to account for. That's the way I see the running back position. Who fits that? I don't know. I mean, that's what we got to find out over the next month and a half.
0: So you mentioned Drew Locke, and I said we'd get there. Drew Locke's growth will make everyone else's life easier, too. It's kind of a chicken and an egg deal. A really good quarterback will make the guys around him better. If he has really good guys to throw to, then you're talking about division title contention, and obviously we know the Super Bowl champs are down the road, uh, playoff contention year in, year out. Did you see enough from Drew Locke where you expect that to happen, think that can happen, or hope
1: that will happen? I think Drew Locke will be a very good NFL quarterback at least. Now, whether he turns into an elite quarterback, I think the material is there just from what I saw over five games. And again, I want it to be there. I mean, I want to see the Broncos get back to the top of the heap in the NFL. So I'm trying to still at the same time be objective about it, not get too over the top. I just think he showed a lot, Brandon. I think he showed a lot of of leadership, as Pat Schirmer's talked about, as Vic has talked about, John's talked about. He certainly has the swagger. He doesn't lack confidence, which I think is a positive thing. I don't think it goes overboard to – to cockiness that's inappropriate. But I think there's enough of that confidence and swagger and and a little bit of cockiness to say, I can do this, and I'm going to go do it. And I think you have to have that. You need other guys to believe in you. And part of it comes from having that attitude. The other part, I think, comes from executing. And we saw Drew play very well in his early going, in his early time. The Houston game, obviously, everybody knows about. But just the way he made plays, third down conversions improved, point production improved. A lot of things were markedly and measurably better. So I think Drew Locke is the guy. I think they have to roll with him right now. I think it'll be more than just a one-year deal. I think he is, you know, barring some sort of disaster and the Broncos falling into some sort of other young quarterback by means unforeseen at this point. I think he's their guy. And you hope that he, on the offensive side, getting better players around him and continuing to build that defense, you you hope that that's going to be enough to give the Chiefs a run for their money over time. And a big key
0: to helping Drew Locke grow will be his relationship with his offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. I know he had a tight relationship with Scangarello, and that could just be the kind of guy Drew Locke is. But he's going on by my math. Six coordinators now in seven years dating back to high school. <laughs> yeah. right? He had three out of four in in Missouri and now uh, a second in two years here. And the Broncos are used to it. I think this is their fifth in as many years. So how much of an advantage, if any, is it that you're getting Shermer, who likely won't be a head coaching candidate next year unless they score 40 points a game, right? He's got $18 million coming to him from the Giants. So let's just assume... Broncos are paying him no more than two, and that's probably on the high side. They're probably letting the Giants foot the bill uh, for most of his salary. Then he brings in Mike Shula, a guy w- with a, an accomplished record in his own right, save for his time as a head coach at Alabama. <laughs> but he's calling plays in the Super Bowl. It didn't go great, mostly because of Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware and company. But this is a guy who certainly has been around the block. So now you get two really established veteran guys that will be dealing with Drew Locke on a daily basis, presumably for more than a year. How big can that be for him, and how big will it be, I
1: guess? I think it's huge, especially since you mentioned all of the coaches that Drew Locke has been with, and yet he has still been very, very productive. So he's seemingly bright enough and athletic enough and capable enough to excel despite all of these different systems. My point is, can we imagine what he might be if he gets some consistency in the coaching? And it let, let's hope, again, knock on wood – that the Broncos are able to provide that. Here's one thing I really like about Pat Shermer coming on board. He really wants to coach Drew Locke. And I think if you're a player, especially a quarterback, and you know there's a coach that wants to work with you and wants to help you and develop you and see you excel, I can't see any downside as the player in that kind of relationship because – if a coach has that attitude, then if I'm the coach, I'm going, how can I make it easier for you, Drew Locke, to be a better player, to be the to, to be the elite quarterback that you want to be and that the Broncos need you to be? And so I think it sets up with all of Shermer's experience, with all of his success. Is it a slam dunk? No. Could things go wrong? Sure. But if there's something that Drew Locke is not grasping in the offense under Pat Schirmer, my guess is here's a coach that's motivated to see this player do well, and so he's going to make it and he's got enough experience to be able to tweak things to then say, all right, what if we did it this way and all of a sudden Drew Locke takes off? I just I think it's terrific, and that's not a knock against Rich Gangarello because I think we saw him grow this year, but he doesn't have the experience and the miles on the tires that Pat Shermer has in the NFL as a coordinator or as a head coach and I think Vic and John saw the opportunity to get that kind of coach, and they decided to make the move. All right, what do you expect to see from Vic
0: going from year one where certainly not a rookie to NFL calendars, if you will, uh, but being a head coach is still a, a little different, and being a defensive play-calling head coach I think is a lot different. Uh, but but what do you expect to see from Vic here as he is now settling into the job, uh, and he makes that change, and he gets another head Head coach and technically two head coaches, if you do count uh, the time at Alabama for Mike Shula, added to his staff and keeps Mike Munchak um, among others. So, what what do you want to see from, or what do you think you'll see from Vic?
1: From Vic, if if I'm Vic, I'm looking at the offensive staff that you just alluded to with Shermer, Shula, Munchak, and others, and going, I'll look at the offense. I want to know what's going on, but I trust those guys. To, you can be to, even more hands off. Uh, you can be, I think, theoretically. Now, I don't know Vic's personality well enough to know if, if he's just going to, like, I don't think he would ignore the offense, but it's like, guys, I trust you. Keep me in the loop. And, and I think we're going to see Vic continue to settle in. He's a smart guy. He's, he's really intelligent. I, and I think that he's I think he learned some things as a first-year head coach, which is what you'd expect. I also think, Brandon, we're going to continue to see this defense get better. Yes, there are some personnel moves and some roster decisions to make, which will go a long ways towards determining how good the defense is, of course, but there's a foundation now for the guys who are going to be back, and there'll still be enough guys back, especially if they get the Simmons deal done long-term, and Justin is perfectly happy. He's kind of the quarterback of that defense, and Again, look at Vic's defense with the Bears. It took him a couple of years to ramp up, and then by the time he left to come to the Broncos, that was the best defense in the NFL. So I'm excited to see how Vic settles in. I'm excited to see him continue to refine what he does, how he does it on game day. I really like the fact he was decisive about making calls. Whether or not you agreed with him is one thing, but he decided to go for two, or he decided to go for a first down, and, and he had his reasons, and he went with it. And I think there was just an acceptance of, okay, it didn't work out, but the reasoning was sound. So all of those things I think were, were positives in the first year, despite the 7-9 the and nine record. And then the way they finished with Drew Locke, I'm really excited for this offseason, maybe more so than in any recent year. Well, I get that you're excited,
0: and you're going to spend a lot more of the fall on your couch or actually at the <laughs> game as a fan, because I know you're really, really excited For your new job, calling Rockies games in the booth with Jack Corrigan, taking over for Jerry Schimmel, uh, an opportunity that I know that you've hoped for at various points and and you love being in the booth and calling games across not just baseball, football hoops, but uh, just kind of tell me what your excitement level is on a one to ten that you get to be in the booth for 162
1: Rockies games and fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully, some playoff games. Yeah, hopefully more. No, it's off the charts. I mean, you can't go. You can't limit it to ten for sure. It's really exciting, and to have the opportunity is really humbling. And I'm ready to go. I mean, ready to get down to spring training here pretty soon. And kind of, s- it's snowing all around. Yeah, all right. You want to get down to Phoenix? <laughs> I, I can't believe. I it. just want to make sure I can get out of town here sometime <laughs> soon. That the, I'm checking the forecast now. What's it like? I got to get out of town, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And I know, look. I think anybody who's followed the Rockies, even at a cursory level, at a surface level this offseason, knows they really didn't make any moves. They stood pat. They're basing their hopes and their belief that guys who underperformed, and there, were more, there was more than one who underperformed last year, but were still a part of the playoff core in either 17, 18, or both, can get back to their level of, of good play. And if that happens, they're going to be right in the thick of things to play meaningful games. We don't know if that's going to happen. I get the frustration that they, they didn't do much else. I really do. But I'm not kissing the season off quite yet. I mean, I'm anxious to see. It's kind of like with the Broncos. I'm anxious to see sort of where this, this Rockies team is and and to be able now to, to follow them up close and personal here for over... The next six months is going, or seven months, really, with spring training. It's going to be a lot of fun, and and I I can't wait to get started. Well, I'm going to miss seeing you around as much as I do, but I'll know where to find you. You do. You will. You'll
0: be at 20th and Blake, and we'll be listening to you all the time on KOA. So I, like you, am really excited for you, maybe not as much, because you're the one getting to actually do the job and call the games, and you're going to see some ballparks that you haven't seen. I know you've been to a bunch of ballparks, but you're going to get to add some to your checklist. So uh, it's a, a great opportunity for you. Uh, something I know you've waited a long time for, and and I'm pulling for you to to be in that job now for at least 18 seasons, like you were uh, with Broncos pre and post. So thanks so much for the time. Down the road, uh, I may still get your Broncos thoughts because I always need somebody to talk to on this podcast. <laughs> I'm uh, here for you. Yeah. So your perspective will be a little different. And you know, Broncos stop by all the time down there at 20th and Blake. So you can be like, yeah, I talked to Peyton Manning. I talked to. Justin Simmons. I talked to Vaughn Miller and maybe give me some insight there. So uh, good luck. Thanks for everything. And uh, I appreciate you hopping
1: on. Absolutely, Brandon. Thanks to you.
0: So as I uh, alluded to that, I'm going to miss seeing Mike around because every time I come into the office really before 10, I'd see him uh, and certainly talk to him on Broncos game days every week uh, and throughout the week. So I will, of course, still be in touch with him. He's still our sports director and still very heavily involved in everything we're doing. Uh, but he will be tied up with the Rockies, and that's a long 162 games, and uh, I think it's about 180 days, uh, plus obviously his spring training. So uh, it'll be awesome to hear him on the call with Jack Horgan. I hope you'll, uh, you'll tune in and listen. Uh, but I appreciate Mike. Tomorrow uh, I'll bring you another interview from Super Bowl week as we look at what the Broncos need to do, talking with football experts. Uh, so tune in for Brian Billick the former Ravens head coach, Super Bowl winning champ, uh, the 2000 Ravens head coach, and of course, NFL Network analyst and former employer slash good friend of Vic Fangius. So I appreciate listening. We'll see you tomorrow on the Broncos Daily Podcast.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.